Let me ask you a question that I think is important. Would you rather have the answers or the questions? Would you rather have the answers or would you rather have all the questions? I know that some of you have thought to yourself, when I get to heaven, I, as soon as I get there, I know what I'm going to ask God. How many of you thought that before? Anybody? Okay, thank you, John. There's a couple honest people here. I think a lot of people have thought that to themselves. I'm going to ask this. And generally, you're not happy about it. But I want you to know something, that when we get to heaven, you are not going to have to ask. Paul tells us that. He says in in 1 Corinthians, I'm not going to take time to read it, but in chapter 13, he said, we will know even as we are known. So we're not going to have to ask. We're not going to wonder. We're not going to be just left there wondering what it is. But I want you to to get something with me. As you read the Gospels, and I hope that you do. I'm in the book of Luke right now. As you read the Gospels, I want you to notice something, that throughout the Gospels, Jesus only answered eight questions, but he asked over 300 questions. The Gospels, of course, they're not a complete record of every word that Jesus spoke, so he obviously asked more than eight, or answered more than eight, and he he obviously asked more than 300 but I think it's really interesting because Jesus has, has impacted more lives than anyone else on the face of the earth with his message. And rather than just spout the answers, he asked questions. He would frequently answer a question with a question. So would you rather have the answer or would you rather have... The question, our culture prefers which? The answer. We are trained by our culture that we need to have the answer because the one who has the answer has the power. Okay? That's what we're taught. That's what what our culture shows us. Because if we have the answer, we're going to look really smart to all of our friends and our boss. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 that knowledge makes us proud. It puffs us up. And Scripture also says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So pride isn't really something that as followers of Christ we should aspire to. Imagine the creator of the universe asked far more questions than he answered. That's incredible. You ever wonder why people don't want to engage in spiritual conversations with those that they know proclaim Christ? I'm sure your friends know that that you proclaim to be a Christian. Why do you think 
they don't want to engage in spiritual conversations. Because they think that we think we've got all the answers. And you know what you're thinking? I don't have any answers and I hope they don't ask me. Right? Think about that. Think about what Jesus did. He often, we, we, we know stories that are so famous in the Bible that, that we, we just, we, we think Jesus must have been storing this thing up and he was really waiting on this one. Um, stories like the Good Samaritan. Do you know the story of the Good Samaritan came because Jesus was asked a question. So he answered a question with a story. And then at the end of the story, he asks a question. Wouldn't it have just been a lot easier for Jesus to just answer the guy? I mean, the question was, what do I do to have eternal life? If anybody was authoritative enough to answer it, it would be the Son of God. But he didn't answer it. He told a story, and then he asked another question. You might be disappointed when you realize that our series this month called Questions is not going to be about your questions or mine. We'll do that another time, okay? But it's going to be about questions that Jesus asked us. And we're going to start with Matthew chapter 7. There's a, a, the first few verses of that chapter. Jesus asks a couple questions. Let me start. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Question mark. Then he follows that question with another question. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Question mark. Do you ever, do you ever text uh, on your phone you, just using your voice and you have to add the question mark? You have to add the punctuation? Jesus adds question marks there. He said, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Look at verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus' questions here, I believe, encourage us to do some things. The first thing that he encourages us to do is to avoid judging others. There's a danger when we allow ourselves to judge other people. And the ultimate danger is that when we judge other people, we are subjecting ourselves to judgment. Okay? That's the danger. In fact, Jesus said the measure or the amount or the severity with which you judge others, that's what's going to be used on you. So there is a danger. According to Benson's commentary, this idea of judging others, Jesus is referring to hastily forming an opinion. 
So this opinion that we develop, it's done uh, without warrant and it's done so harshly. And this is so common today among Christians. And your response might be, well, the Bible says that I should judge righteous judgment. Well, let's read the entire verse because Jesus says in John 7, 24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So don't judge as it first appears to you. Ask questions. Reflect honestly before you cast judgment. And the reason that we need to do this Samuel says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and God says it to Samuel, he said uh, that, that people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Our tendency as Christians is to judge quickly by what we see on the outside. And even our parents taught us when we were children, do not judge a book by its cover. So we all know this. This is something that we've all learned. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul starts out the chapter and he says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge one another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment, you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? God's judgment is based on truth. While our judgment fails to consider our own actions. The problem with passing judgment is that we are guilty of the same things. But you see, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt at every turn. Because I know my heart. I'm, I mean good. We don't know their heart. We don't take their heart into consideration when we judge. Second thing that this question of Jesus encourages us to do is look in the mirror. Now, I'm one of those people that I shave every, like every day, okay? Um, I don't, I don't like, I don't want to leave my house. I don't even like to be in my house without shaving. I mean, I just, I'm going to shave every day, you know? And I'm getting older, all right? And, and I have these, these beautiful glasses that, you know, um, have multiple levels of, uh, you, know, of uh, you know, magnification, but it's not enough. And so I got this mirror, and it's one that you bolt to the wall, and it's got a little arm on it, and you swing that baby out, and it magnifies by ten times. Okay? You want to see what you really look like? <laughs> My wife always says to me, why does it take you so long in the bathroom? I said, this just doesn't walk out by itself. <laughs> Ten times, baby, I'm checking it all, okay? I, and I'm, and I'm you know, I, I got you know, to see it all. I got to, because that's just, you know, I, I don't know. I saw my, my grandpa was like that. I remember that when I was a kid. But Jesus, the question that Jesus asked, 
He said, why do you focus on the sawdust in your neighbor's eye and ignore the plank in your own eye? The King James uses the word moat. I don't, I don't, you know, why words are so different. But as I study that word and and I look at at different different scholars that, that talk about that word, it denotes particles, dust particles floating in the air that are invisible except in the sunshine. Do you know how a day like yesterday when the sun pours in your windows and you're like, look at all this, you know, there's dust flying through the air everywhere. That's what he's really talking about. And Jesus' meaning of the word plank is, is the same as the word log. And so when we re- I read that verse, I imagine, I imagine a two-by-four sticking out of a guy's eye, okay? The other day, the other day, uh, in fact, I'll go back uh, toward Christmas time. And a friend of mine who's a, 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 an orthopedic doctor, he said, hey, how come you didn't tell me about your knee? I, I'm limping around a little bit. He said, I'll take a look at that for you. I said, I would never, I would never take advantage of my friendship with you and tell you, hey, I, my knee's giving me a problem. He said, well, no, I want to take a look at it. He looks at it and he says, yep, yep, yep. He says, it's probably your meniscus. He said, uh, you're going to have to have an MRI. He said, I could take some fluid off of that for you. And I said, okay. And so I, 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 he's in my neighborhood. And so I went to his house and, and he whips out this needle. Okay. This is not a joke, okay? The end of that needle, it was so big, I could see up the hole of the needle, right? And he's, and, and he's bending over, and he's going to my knee. Imagine if he had a two-by-four in his eye. Okay, let me add it, you know? Well, let me see, let me see what, the, I, I would have limped, I wouldn't have run, I'd have limped out of there as fast as I could. Because I needed him to be really precise with that needle. It was huge. But practically speaking, when we have something like that in our eye, we can't see anything, let alone be able to see to get something else out of someone else's eye. Jesus is saying, how could you even offer to help someone with their speck while you have a a, a log in your eye? Benson's commentary says this, why focus on the fault of your brother while you're guilty of a greater fault? In Revelation, John the Revelator, he's talking to the, uh, God is talking to the church of Laodicea in chapter 3, verse 17, and the church at Laodicea, they say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Their, their condition is so bad that it engenders pity and compassion from others. They're spiritually blind, but they cannot see the reality of their own spiritual condition. Jesus said, why in this situation would you offer help to anyone else? When you fly, and flying is semi-fun. It's fun because maybe you're going to a nice place. But when you fly, what do they tell you if the cabin loses pressure? 
And that, that little mask thing with the little tube, I'm not convinced it's actually hooked to anything. But when that falls down, what are you supposed to do with it? Are you supposed to put it on your kid? Are you supposed to put it on your spouse? Put it on your neighbor? You put it on yourself first. Why? Because if you're passed out, you're not going to be good to anybody. Jesus is telling us that we need to deal with ourselves first. In Luke chapter 18, we see the story that Jesus tells about a Pharisee. And this Pharisee is in the temple. And he's next to a guy that's a tax collector that is considered the scum of the earth. And this Pharisee says to God, I'm glad I'm not like other men, especially this guy. Luke chapter 18, verse 13, the tax collector stands at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He was looking at himself first. We need to put our oxygen mask on before we offer to help anybody else. And thirdly, we've got to pay attention to our eye first. Verse 5 of our text in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, you hypocrite. He's talking to the Pharisees here. First, pull, t- take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is getting pretty harsh with these guys. Hypocrite's a pretty strong word. Why would Jesus call someone a hypocrite? It's because they are saying they are worthy to be teachers when they themselves need to be taught and they don't even know it. Sometimes that's what we do. Let me help you with that. Not knowing the whole time that we need help and we don't even see it. Friends, I want each of us to realize something. God doesn't need our help to tell someone else that there's something in their eye. He can do it on his own. I've told the story before of a young man that was, he was, man, he was uh, a Metallica fan. He, uh, he was a headbanger. He was acid tripping. You know, he, this kid, this kid was, I mean, he was out there. And he gave his life to Jesus one night. And he invited me over to his house, and I, I went into, he wanted me to see his bedroom, and he had to play, you know, some, he had to do an air, you know, an air band thing for me, you know, because he had the hair, and he's just, you know, we're doing it to a song, and shows me his room. In the back of his door is a, a picture of a, a rock singer that was naked, a woman that was naked. You know, and my, my, my flesh wanted to say, hey, man, if you're going to be a Christian, you got to get rid of that. You got to take that down. And I didn't say anything, and I, I, went, I went about my business for the day, and the next day I, I was just saying, Lord, speak to this young man. Speak to him. By 1.30 in the afternoon, he called me, and he said, you know, I was in my room 
Something told me to take that down. Man, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. Okay. How much more powerful is it that the Holy Spirit does it than I do it? Come on. That's huge. In Jude, verse 15, speaking of Jesus who's going to come, it says that he will come to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And then in John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, When he comes, he will, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will reprove or prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. In other words, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin. And what God wants us to do is figure this out first. Before we do anything else, let's figure this out. Let's figure out what's in our eye. And if we do that, I think that we will, we will take away what the world says about us. Because you know what the world says about us? Same thing that Jesus said about the Pharisees. The world says that the church is full of hypocrites. And you know what? They've got a point. They've got a point. And I'm not pointing at you. I'm, I'm talking to all of us and I'm including myself. I love Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, that just brings something to my heart because I know that I'm worthy to be condemned. There's no condemnation. And if Christ doesn't condemn me, how can I condemn others? Let's not assume the place of God. But let's do what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, when he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Do you know that our mandate as the church is to love God and love people? How can we do that if we're casting quick judgment on them if we're not taking into consideration their heart because if they could explain their heart maybe we would have compassion our community needs they need to hear the message of the gospel the bible says that by this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another We need to look inside. We need to look in our own eye. And I believe that when we do, that we will be freed to love one another in a way that we, we never have before. Would you stand with me? As we close our service this morning, Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here today. Thank you for those that are with us through church online as well. And Father, your word hits us hard this morning 
because every one of us in this place have been guilty of quickly and harshly judging a brother or sister in Christ. Every single one of us. We've been looking for that little piece of dust floating through the air that's in their eye, and we're ignoring the two-by-four that's in our own. Father, I pray that you will help us. Help us, Father, to not, not be looking for what's in their eye, but to deal with what's in our eye. And I pray that in doing so, there will be a freedom to love one another that we've never had before. God, I believe that when we walk in obedience in this, you're going to break open new boundaries in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, it's been good to be with you today. And I know that there are some pretty good-looking treats out there. There's coffee, and coffee and treats go together really well. I hope you'll hang around, fellowship with one another. God bless you. Have a great day.